And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on Thursday afternoon from lovely Los Angeles, California, where free agency, with the exception of an Ubre here and a Schroeder there and a Aardvark here and a pig there, is, is over. Pretty much over. And, uh, oh my God, a lot of stuff happened. This is going to be a mega podcast, but I'm in Los Angeles. We have to start with the Los Angeles Lakers. When I did this with Ramona... Uh, two days ago, it's it's almost charming because so much has happened since then that we have to do it again. We're going to go with our Lakers beat guy, one of the best in the business, Mr. Dave McMenamin. How are you? I'm doing well, Zach. I'm actually feeling pretty good about things, all things considered. After the Lakers lost in the first round, it seemed like, oh, this could be one of those summers where things drag for a month before we see what the team looks like. But nope. from draft day through, what, Wednesday? It pretty much came together quickly. How many players from the 2020-21 Lakers are currently slated to be on the 2021-22 Lakers, Dave McMenamin? Let's see if you can do it. Uh, Marcus Saul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Talon Horton Tucker. Mm, might need some help to help that's me it. out. Is that, that's that it? it? You're done. That's it. You've got yeah. the list. Um, so since I recorded on Tuesday, the following things happened. The Lakers signed Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn, one to the minimum, one not to the minimum. Resigned Taylor Horton Tucker, lost Alex Caruso, signed Carmelo Anthony, who is the ninth all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Yes, I think he is. something something like that. Or uh, he's, he's about three hundred points away from ninth. He's in tenth right now. Well, as a Syracuse guy, you got to know that one. You got to know Boy Mello is finishing. St- hashtag Stay Mello. Um, and oh my God, it's like a whole new team. Um, and uh, it, it seems like so long ago that we were debating, oh my God, they traded for Rush. Should they have just kept Dennis Schroeder and, and, and traded for Buddy Heald instead and kept Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who now plays for the Wizards. The Wizards also have an entirely new team. We're going to get to them later. Dave McMenamin, whew. let's take a deep breath for a second. What hath God wrought here? What do we have? What is this team? What do you think about it? What, just what? Why is LeBron so cranky on Twitter? Why did he delete his tweet about us making fun of how old his old team is? Just everything, Dave. What's happening? Yeah, I don't understand why you would delete that because anyone who spent any time on the internet recognizes weak, that. Weak. Hashtag, hashtag weak. And he wanted the smoke. Uh, so to speak, and that tweet will be brought up again and again as they get through this upcoming season. Now, I am not a fan of outright rejecting a team's chances for success based on the average age of their roster. I think that's folly. I think it's silly. One of the best Knicks teams that Carmelo Anthony ever played on or the best team that took the Heat to six games in the second round was the oldest team in NBA history by average age at that point. And they played well together. Pacers in the the second round. There you go. Pacers in the second round. And then you remember back in the day where you have that Lakers team where you add Carl Malone and Gary Payton to two legitimately great players in Shaq and Kobe. And and maybe there's a little bit of that air about this Lakers team so far. But even that team got to the finals. I I still think – the way we look at the league coming up into next year, other than Brooklyn, I, I may be someone who believes too much in Brooklyn at this point. I think it's wide open. And 
it's a dramatic change, but last year they lost the first round of the playoffs. And sometimes that requires a dramatic change to shake things up. Look, I, I agree with you in the sense that if the Nets are healthy, and maybe that's just the if that's going to hover over this team until we see them be healthy at, at, the, at the end. And it's, it's sort of crazy to think that the one coming off an Achilles tear was the healthy one in Kevin Durant. James Harden is a tank, and for the first time in his career, the tank blew a tire at the wrong time. We'll see if there's any lingering effects from that. He's entering his 30s now. He's played a lot of minutes. He's played a lot of minutes off the court, too. Uh, so to speak, and Kyrie Irving has had injuries a lot. So, but but I agree with you, and I think the Nets have had a great summer. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the Nets. I think yep. they are the undisputed favorite to win the 2022 championship if healthy, undisputed. Um, but to your point, one of the big storylines for next season is going to be how long is Jamal Murray out, or is he just out? How long is Kawhi Leonard out, or is he just out? And if it's the last two. Or even if it's if it's they come back, but they're just not the same because that's what happens when you come off those kind of injuries and they just play the last month or whatever. Those are two potential title contenders that I think you just wipe off the board. So I agree with you in that in that sense. It's it's not wide open because I think the Nets are the favorites, but I, I don't think there's anyone in the West that the Lakers would look at and say, oh my God, well that team's... Because the next tier, you'd probably... Utah, Phoenix, Golden State would be the teams that immediately well, come Well, that was the other one I was going to mention. Like, Clay Thompson... I don't think Clay Thompson's going to be ready for opening night, and I think we should assume that it's going to take him a lot of the season, if not the entire season, to look like Clay Thompson if he ever looks like Clay Thompson again and, and nobody they're like I love Clay Thompson I want him to look like Clay Thompson again and if he does I think this Warriors team has a chance to be really really good yeah. um so let's zoom out here's the Lakers roster right now their point guards are Russell Westbrook end of list unless you include LeBron James who's just everything LeBron James is whatever you need him to be other than maybe a center and even he can be that if you need their shooting guards are Malik Monk, loved it. Wayne Ellington, can shoot. Kent uh-huh. Bazemore, can shoot. Kendrick Nunn, loved it and can play a little backup point guard, and I suspect he will play some backup point guard. Whatever you want to call Taylor Horton Tucker, he's a two or a three. He's 6'3 with a 7'1 wingspan. That could come in handy. We'll talk about that. He played some one last year, too. Slash- he's, he's a yeah, he, great he class be, in case of emergency one. And may be able to defend some threes, which is why I bring up that wingspan. Uh, the forwards, both small and power, are LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Trevor Ariza, Carmelo Anthony. And the uh, centers are Anthony Davis again, Marcus Soule, and Dwight Howard. That is, that's a whole new freaking team. Mr. McMenamin, Mr. McMenamin, I just said your name wrong, how disrespectful. McMenamin, Mr. McMenamin. Yeah. Is Anthony Davis going to be the starting center on opening day? No. I, I don't see it. Uh, he has a way that he's comfortable through an 82-game 80 game season that's not playing starting center. There's going to be moments. We saw his first year with the Lakers where it was a game against Utah. They were trailing at the half, and Frank didn't like what he saw, and he started Anthony at the five. The second half had a dramatic change on the game. Obviously, Rudy Gobert is such a – Unique talent in there changes the dynamic of where Rudy's playing on the court and, and the Lakers won. You'll see moments like that, of course. But Anthony Davis wants to have a, a pair of henchmen, and he has them. Marcus Gasol, Dwight Howard, 
they will occupy that position and you'll see Anthony there in spurts. Marcus Gasol is too nice to be a henchman. Uh, you know what? He could be. He's not as nice as people think. Actually. He's got a little edge. Yeah, he he could be a henchman. Dwight Howard is almost a henchman by accident. His elbows are just hitting things at all times at this point. And he he had to set the post Rashid Wallace record for technicals per minute last season. Yeah. Just uh, every time you turned around, he was getting a technical or a fla- technical plus flagrance per minute. We'll call it TF per minute. Dwight Howard had to have led the league by a lot last year. Um, so, look, they trade for Russ. They trade three rotation players for us, including KCP, who was he their best two-way wing other than LeBron? Maybe. Um, he probably. was. I mean, you could say some people like Caruso in that spot, but his 2020 bubble postseason was oh. remarkable. Oh. Remarkable. Kuzma. 36% from three last year, made great strides as an all-around player. And yes, Harrell, who at the very least is a regular season uh, energizer and innings eater and can swing some quarters here or there and then gets played off the floor in the playoffs. That's fine. Uh, for Russ. And you freeze it there. And we have to freeze it there because this is what we do in the media. We talk about what's happening now. You freeze it there and you think, boy, oh, boy, that's a lot of, that's a lot of shooting out the window for a guy who doesn't shoot it well but shoots it a lot and is a weird fit with LeBron James. And they could have had Buddy Heald. That's a great shooter. He's an amazing shooter. Oh, my God. One of the Incredible. most prolific three-point shooters of all time. They could have just kept Dennis Schroeder. And in that, in that sequence, they get to keep KCP. I said I, I kind of like that path better. I also said I don't really think there's going to be a functional number of a functional difference between those two paths in terms of win totals and playoff equity. It might be about the same. I like that path better. And boy, oh boy, I got to hand it to Rob Polinka slash LeBron James slash Rich Paul slash the buses slash whoever making these decisions because with almost nothing to offer, the Lakers did about as well as you could on the minimum slash, uh, in Kendrick Nunn's case, tax mid-level market. Dwight's a really good backup center. Ellington, Bazemore, they can shoot. Mello can shoot. We'll talk about the limitations they have. Trevor Ariza is almost the opposite kind of limitation. Really good defender. The shooting comes and goes. To me, the things that swing it are you brought back Horton Tucker. Would I prefer that you also bring back Alex Caruso? Yes, but that's not my money. That's the bus's money. And it was probably an either-or choice given what I think they offered Caruso. Do we want to pay two $10 million guys? Probably not. Uh, But Monk at the minimum and none for what they got him are just an injection of youth and ball handling that I think is really, really good for this team. And I even think we can see some lineups, you know, if the Russ-LeBron AD fit proves a little clunky at times or clunky at, when Dwight is out there, if, if they those three play much with Dwight at all, I think you can see some none at point guard, some no point guard lineups where LeBron is the point guard and there's a lot of shooting on the floor. I, I give the Lakers a lot of credit. They pivoted from that rush trade and did the absolute best they could. I, I think. I mean, I don't really know where, what else you could hope for. No, they, the team they were on draft day was concerning. The team they are today is something that you can see working based on the personnel. And there is still the signal, though, that by um, my understanding with my reporting that Certainly LeBron James was in favor of this Russ move over the Buddy Heald move. And is it because he recognizes that perhaps the Lakers didn't have enough playmaking? And that's kind of been a 
point of emphasis he's had really since the 16-17 season coming off the championship with the Cavaliers he was telling us in the press that I, I need some more playmaking around me and that was the critical mistake his first year in Cleveland where he viewed Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley as playmakers rather than those spots going to traditional shooters. They somehow have addressed both. They added playmaking and Russ and they added shooters. The question is though, did he want Russ because he recognizes he's about to be a 19 year NBA veteran who turns 37 in December and needs someone to take some of the load off him. Maybe that's the best thing that he has someone he can trust that he will hand over some of the load to. But at the same time, are the Lakers a championship team if LeBron isn't plus-plus LeBron? You you rarely are a championship team if your best player is not himself, right? So, look, here's the, here's the argument for the team, other than everything you just said about the shooting, right? The closing lineup on paper is going to be Russell Westbrook, player X, player Y, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. How you fill in those blanks will be interesting, but their argument would be, we just won the championship two years ago with LeBron, AD, and three perimeter players, one of whom was very often a non-shooting point guard in Rajon Rondo. The other two slots, it's not like they were incredible shooters. Alex Caruso, Caldwell Pope, as you said, is a very, really good shooter. Kyle Kuzma, you know, we've seen that formula. We know it works. We can duplicate it again. Just pick a shooter out of these, you know, pick a wing, pick two wings out of this bucket. Maybe one night it's Monk and Ariza. Maybe it's Nunn and Monk. Maybe it's Nunn and Bazemore. Maybe, maybe, maybe likely it's Taylor Horton Tucker plus one of those guys. Or Mello. Or Mello. We, we can make that work. Um, the, the, the questions for me, the questions, well, and, and let me actually zoom out. Like, I don't. I am I am five to ten percent lower on Russ than most national media. I think uh, the fit to me is problematic because Russ needs the ball all the time, all the time, because he does nothing when he doesn't have it except just have the lane be clogged up because his guy's not guarding him, and that's a problem for LeBron. And if your solution is we'll give Russell Westbrook the ball more. The so if your your solution should never be give someone other than LeBron James the ball more if LeBron James is on your team so mm-hmm. all of that is like problematic and needs to be worked out and I I'm lukewarm on the Russ thing but I look at this team on paper who am I picking in the West over them next year who I mean I I I, I can't. All the teams you mentioned are going to be – Phoenix is going to be really good again. The Warriors are going to be good. Utah is not going anywhere. Dallas with Luka plus shooting, and I think they've got an addition or two still to make, is really dangerous. I don't think it's like a no-brainer that the – I don't think the Lakers have constructed, oh, my God, a juggernaut. This is a big three on the level of Wade, LeBron, and Bosh in Miami. I don't think that necessarily, but I'm I'm like, who who am I picking over them? I I don't know the – I don't have a good answer to that. Do you? No, and if you add in the fact that it's a long offseason for LeBron, so theoretically that'll help him. You add in the fact that there is certainly a motivating factor for Russ uh, to maybe this is his best chance to win a championship in his career, you know, other than being up 3-1 on the Warriors back with the KD days, but that seems like so long ago now. Uh, Add in 
I would hope, and I think this is really the player that matters the most to the Lakers' chances, is Anthony Davis, the way the postseason went for him, to have the groin take him out of it and recognize where he is in his career. He won the championship two years ago, who was 1-1A one one with LeBron James. They need him to be one. They need him to ascend, be the guy, be there every night, get his body right, have the competitive spirit to care about these regular season games, push through everything. You know, if he can do that, then actually then it's pretty easy to talk yourself into the Lakers being the, the top team in the West. And look, I completely agree in the sense in the sense of like you think about the, oh my God, Russ and LeBron and what's Russ gonna do when he doesn't have the ball? Is he ever gonna cut? Does he still remember how to set ball screens? He never does that. That would be really useful for this team. Oh, but, but, you know, in the transition game, he's really going to help the Lakers in their transition offense the year they won the championship. It was incredible. And you start wrapping your brain in knots. And then you think, like, hold on. LeBron James, people were talking about him as the MVP before he got hurt. Now, maybe getting hurt is now is baked into the LeBron experience. Maybe we've reached a point where we should expect and fear an injury because he is that age. He's going to be, if he's not already number two in all-time minutes, regular season and playoffs, he's going to be soon. Maybe he's number three. I think he's number three behind Mailman and, and Kareem maybe. Um, maybe that's baked into it, and we should talk about him the way we talk about Kyrie and Brooke. I don't know. I, I just don't know. Well, two of the last three years, you have the groin. Yeah. You have the ankle, and then you have a four-and-a-half-month hiatus built in to allow him to finish the season. And, and you can talk about how – uh, you know, it was fluky, right? Solomon Hill rolled into him or whatever. It's maybe I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I don't, even the scientists are like, we don't really understand how injuries uh-huh. happen and why they happen. But he was neck and neck with Jokic for MVP of the NBA. He was the best guy. He was the near unanimous answer to the question of if I have to win a game, uh-huh. who do I, who's my first pick? Maybe not near unanimous because Durant would have had a lot of support there too. And Anthony Davis is still Anthony Davis. He's healthy. If they have their whole thing is if we have those two guys, who is beating us? Even if our the rest of our roster is imperfect, and the answer two years ago was nobody. And I'm not sure this roster is less imperfect than that one. I will say though, it's definitely worse defensively. And if there's a question I have on this team, I mean, you're when we talk about that closing five, LeBron and AD are incredible defensively incredible when you go smaller like when the lakers play big with a center their incredibleness makes them overwhelming because there's just so much size on the floor when Mm -hmm. you go smaller they have more ground to cover and there's less arms and and limbs and speed to do it and you start talking about who are the who's filling those three spots russ is a below average defender and has been for a long time his reputation is completely ridiculous he's not a good defensive player malik monk in the fourth quarter of, of a game against the Nets, good luck. Wayne Ellington, good luck. Kent Bazemore, good luck. Kendrick Nunn, you got maybe a fighting chance, but you need some luck. THT, maybe. Mello? Mello? No. Mello? Remember the last time we saw Mello in playoff series a, a, against good one-on-one players? They were picking on him every single time down. Now he's reinvented himself. to crap. We just scratched off half the team. Trevor Ariza, sure. Is he going to make enough shots? That's the number one question about this team. That plus Russ. And 
you know, maybe it matters. Maybe it doesn't. We just saw a whole playoffs where Trey Young didn't get picked on essentially the entire playoffs. Now, the later you get, the harder that is, particularly in the West. Maybe that doesn't matter, but that is, if Russ is question one, question 1A is that. And that, and a lot of that is, how much of a leap can Horton Tucker make as a shooter? And that's, their formula under Frank Vogel has been, we're going to be the best defensive team in the NBA. They won a championship with that. And despite all the challenges of last season with guys going out because of COVID, with a new roster put together with the shortest offseason in NBA history for that team, et cetera, et cetera. They were still really good defensively. If you take away that as a foundation, who are they? If I'm counting this much on Trevor Ariza, I'm a little nervous. If I'm counting on Horton Tucker becoming a, a, a average three-point shooter on good volume this season, he's young enough and fearless enough. Maybe he does it. I'm still a little nervous. I just know those dudes are going to get attacked by the very best teams in the league. But again, maybe maybe you maybe that's not an issue until the finals. Maybe maybe that's where we are. Um I will say though, I think Clippers Nuggets have injury issues. I, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I I do think one of these teams is going to rise up and be better than we think they're going to be in the West. Maybe it's Phoenix. Maybe it's Phoenix saying, "Oh, you thought last year was just, you know, we got a little bit lucky and the injuries helped us." Maybe they just get better. Maybe Booker, Bridges, Ayton, Johnson, they all get better. You know, they signed JaVale McGee to fill a hole on their team. That Maybe the, maybe it's Phoenix. Maybe it's Utah. Maybe they're healthy when it matters. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell weren't healthy. Maybe they're just ferociously motivated from what was an incredibly disappointing and, frankly, not that acceptable loss to the Kawhi leonard list L.A. Clippers. Um, and they've got Rudy Gay, and they've t- tweaked some things on their team. Maybe it's Utah. I'll tell you, I have so much respect for Luca. I wouldn't sleep on the Mavericks. Like I just, I just wouldn't. Like they've they've gone in on Luca plus shooting. I, I do think they're going to get some kind of ball handling somewhere somehow. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't sleep on. I think one of those teams rises up. But I look at the Lakers. I'm like, I you know, don't love the rust fit. And the rust fit is more about volume and off ball activity than the fact that he's a so so shooter. Again, we've seen the Lakers win with so so shooting guards before. It's just that those guys didn't shoot all the time, and they did other stuff like cut and make extra passes. Russ is going to pressure the rim. He's going to play make. He's going to do all that. He's just he just needs to stop shooting so much because all of those shots should be going to other people on this team. And he did lead the league in assists last year, so it's not that he can't find a guy who's open, but I think the crux of the issues you mentioned earlier was at his best he has the ball. LeBron James – at his best, he has the ball. And when LeBron has the ball, he's one of the best ever to do it. And then, so if one of the guys doesn't have it, and we already know what Russ does without the ball, which is a whole lot of nothing, what does that make LeBron without the ball? Is it going to be more threes? Because I don't think too many people out there want LeBron to take more threes than he's already taken. Is it going to be him playing on the block? Okay, he's very capable down there, but then you can't have AD down there. So now AD's floating out to the perimeter. And Russ wants to be down there too sometimes and rock the baby, you know, rock the baby, even though his post-ups are like 0.9 points per possession. He's going to rock the baby on the ones that work. We need this to be a video podcast. I really enjoyed that animated description of, of Russ. Very good. Rocking the baby. Rocking the baby. I don't even know where the hell we were anymore. Half well, here's one. Just, just, doing well, since we're going non sequitur, here's a non sequitur. Kent Bazemore 
is one of those guys that has gotten under LeBron's skin for years. He's in the Mario Zonia category. He's in the uh, – I, I, there aren't that many. Someone who's relatively uh, anonymous as a player, not like a star or anything like that. Does the Jay Crowder salsa dancing count? Yeah, so he's in the Jay, Jay Crowder. <laughs> More animation out of here. This is great. Uh, he's in that camp. And, like, for years I would, like, look to, like, you know, Allie Clifton's covered LeBron for a lot in Cleveland and L.A. And so, you know, we, we're just – so many of these games together. Uh, we've looked at each other like, what is going on with him in camp baseball? It could be, like, the – the Kobe Matt Barnes type of thing, right? The guy went so hard at me for so many years. And yeah, that's a guy I'll take. That's a guy I'll take with my group. Um, I think I, we'll see. And yeah, I, Ken Bazemore's older than I thought, too. I think Ken Bazemore's like 32. Um, you know, to your point, what the, the, the Miami comparison is something that, that people have tried to make because Wade was a quote unquote non shooter and LeBron was sort of, I mean, remember the Spurs like it rolled out the red carpet for LeBron to shoot long twos in the finals. Like he was still developing as a shooter. Mm -hmm. The difference is they were in their absolute primes as athletes. They were also really good cutters, both of them. Wade has always been a good cutter. LeBron became one. Russ has that ability. He just doesn't. He just doesn't do it. Like he ha he can, he has that IQ and ability to do it. And Wade was also an elite mid-range shooter, elite. Russ is a bad mid-range shooter, has become a bad to below average mid-range shooter. Um, and so I just don't, I just don't, I see the comparison in terms of the interior passing and the kind of improvisational plays they're going to make once Russ punctures the paint or LeBron punctures the paint, which is going to happen all the time. But I don't buy the overall comparison. And I think this, the fit offensively is going to be a, a little clunkier than that. Because they were both Dobermans on the perimeter back then, Wade and LeBron. We're talking, I mean, it's been over a decade since the Heels played together, or first played together. So it's a long time ago, and oh, they were I'm so old. just thoroughbreds out there, and they could double a guy, trap him, poke a ball away, and then they got two on one all day, and they could either could lob to the other. LeBron and Russ remain two of the most impressive athletes in today's NBA, but they aren't where they were a decade ago. Uh, and by the way, and Bosch. People think Anthony Davis is a good jump shooter, and he's he's okay. And on the right nights, yeah, he faces up and he makes two or three out of four. He, you know, he's obviously he made a, a bunch of massive jump shots in their championship run, including maybe the biggest shot of the entire run itself mm -hmm. against Denver at the buzzer. He just, particularly last season, he was not a good jump shooter, and the three pointer has never happened. The long two has been. I don't want to say unreliable, but not as reliable as I thought it would be to this point, given how nice his stroke looks and how and how his release point is hard to challenge. It just hasn't gotten there. Bosch became Bosch walked into Miami as a really good long two shoot, long two shooter and walked out as a good three point shooter. Yes, yeah, and AD like for maybe the first six weeks of last season, his three was falling, and it was like, oh, okay, well, he's diversified his game, but that quickly fell apart. Last year was just. It was all sorts of wrong for, for him. He was probably the last guy on the roster who would continually bring up that they had a shortened offseason. And it was like, okay, we get it. But at some point, it's got to be mind over matter. He had already gotten paid. He had already gotten his ring. He is someone who can be a go-with-the-flow type of guy. And so I, I, I don't think... 
he had the external forces, whether it be fan adulation or whether that be the gnawing feeling inside of him that I better win to justify my existence in the league. And it just, it wasn't there for him. And it, and I'm not saying any of that had anything to do with what happened in, in the playoffs against the Suns, but it was almost appropriate that that's how it ended because it just wasn't right for Anthony last year. And you know, I, I hope because man, when he is clicking, he is a treat to watch. I hope he can force himself to be that guy for another season. Cause honestly, like if he doesn't, then we're going to get to year 20 of LeBron and hope there's another Laker ring then like, I mean, the, the window is inching down. Have you seen Space Jam 2 yet? No, I want to see it in the theater. Uh, but the Delta variant has scared me a bit. And I just don't want to watch it on TV. So I don't know. I'm kind of in a – it came out during the finals. I was covering the finals. I didn't want to, like, distract myself from that. But I took a little time off. Then we had the draft. Then we had free agency. Uh, I may just go to, like, a, a matinee show at, like – 12.30, go by myself and hope there's no one in the theater. Yeah, I don't know that you want to be the bearded single adult guy at a matinee <laughs> of Space Jam by yourself. That's I'm just I'm just Wait, gonna throw what does the beard have to do with there. anything? What, are you, are you uh, targeting me based on my beard? What does that say about me? You know, that was, was clean. You're right. It would be. No, you're right to point that out. You're right. To, as someone who wants to grow a beard, but I'm, I'm, I'm banned in my house from growing a beard by everyone who lives in my house. Won't let me do it. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just projecting jealousy okay. upon, but that was unfair. I apologize. I accept to the, to, all of the rest of the characterization other than the beard. I, I apologize to the hirsute. Is that how I say that word? I don't know how you Ooh, say that word. The, the, the bearded. I apologize yeah. to the beard. Well, Dave, look, the Lakers beat never lacks for fun and next year is going to be an absolute show i mean we're talking about mellow as like a bit player a role player to come in and shoot some spot up threes it's carmelo anthony's on the lakers dwight howard's a hall of famer on the lakers marcus soul might be is probably going to be a hall of famer he's on the like it's just it's going to be an absolute show and staples every night is going to be if there are fans and the delta variant hasn't gotten worse and the lambda and the gamma and all the variants that are coming uh, it's going to be star-studded. You're going to have a lot of fun. I hope to be out here for a party. You excited? I'm not quite there yet. I feel when the Russell trade went through, it was, uh, oh, man. I got it. It's another one of those seasons, right? And I've had a few of them. I had the original Dwight Kobe season that I covered. I had the uh, LeBron Blatt season. Uh, it, it already felt like it was getting into that category. But as they filled out the roster – I, I think it could be some good basketball, ton of storylines, and it's going to take some time to get together, uh, which it's it's interesting to cover a team that has that pressure over them, uh, especially when they need to dig themselves out of a hole they create for themselves. And I, I think that could be some of what we see in the early going as they try to figure themselves out and get their Bambi legs under them. And like that to me is is a process I enjoy. So once I get a little bit of a break and can miss – the game a little bit, I think I will be getting excited for it. Well, I'm, I I can understand that. We're all going to get a little break now. Free agency is just about done. Dave McMenamin, you do great work for us. Thank you for your time. I apologize for the beard remark, and uh, I will see you in Los Angeles uh, probably in September or something. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, Zach. 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, let's bring in one of my favorite guests. He is the voice of a Hollywood star, the laugh of, I don't even know what, the best laugh at ESPN. And I think, Nick Friedel, I think it's time to retire the Bulls suck beat because I don't think the Bulls suck anymore. But that was your beat for a while, and you're the perfect guest for this podcast because we're going to talk about the fighting Chicago Bulls reinventing themselves with a spasm. A spasm of transactions, and then their old coach, the gruff one, your old buddy Tom Thibodeau, and the New York Knicks who had an active offseason. Nick Friedel, how are you, sir? Oh, it's good to be with you, buddy. And I, I had to laugh because the day the Bulls are making all those moves, my phone is blowing up with all these people saying, hey, you coming back here? I'm like, no. <laughs> but my mom... <laughs> My mom, who has turned into a gigantic Bulls fan through the years because she watched all those games uh, since I got to Chicago, she sends me a text and it just says, Bulls are back. And I'm like, they are? Are are we sure the Bulls are back? I appreciate that they made all the moves. I think it's going to be interesting as hell to watch everything play out. But I am still skeptical that... I just feel like they're all in for like the the six or seven seed. You can't with sh- everything you, they did. You you're scarred. You're scarred I am. And by everything that happened. That's exactly what she told me. <laughs> because if you think about what happened, I don't want to do the whole thing. But they have this magical team: Rose, Dang, Noah, injuries and age break it up, and then the Tibbs thing goes haywire, and then. Hoiberg comes in, Rose gets the orbital bone injury. The next year, it's the three alphas. That was a disaster, except they almost won a playoff series up 2-0 against Boston in the first round. Then they decide, you know what? We don't want Jimmy Butler and Nikola Mirotic and a bunch of cap space and draft picks. We don't want a Patriot Butler suit. Let's rebuild. The rebuild kind of fails, and now they've pivoted from the rebuild rather artfully into this sort of middle build or whatever should we review should we review what who's on their team i feel like the we've reached a point in their offseason where i need to like actually write down roster should we go over the roster let's do it let's do it there aren't a lot of players on the roster to begin with which which is somewhat worrying to me uh the big splash of course at the beginning was the sign and trade for lonzo ball which i loved i think it's a great move out went tomas sadaransky out went garrett temple in came lonzo ball in a four-year 85 million dollar deal fair then came Alex Caruso for the equivalent of the mid-level exception. 
like that deal too. That's good value for a good two-way player. 27 years old, about as old as Zach Levine, fits right in nicely. Lonzo Ball, it's important that they got a young player because they've hemorrhaged a lot of their young players over the last few years, so that's important. And if he stopped there, say, okay, it's a good team. We just traded two draft picks and an interesting young player, Wendell Carter Jr. for Nick Vucevic. Didn't quite work, didn't make the play on, but we're filling some holes, we're filling some gaps, we're getting some good two-way players, getting some defense and grit around Levine and Vucevic, who are not known for their defense. And then, bam! Out of, no- not out of nowhere, out of somewhere, but out of, out of almost nowhere, comes DeMar DeRozan. Three years. 85 million. Out goes another first-round pick without that big protections on it. Top 10 and then top 8. Out goes Thaddeus Young, who had trade value. Real trade value. Watch yeah. the Spurs flip Thaddeus Young for a first-round pick in a few months. Out goes Al Farouk Amino didn't did not have much trade value. We now have uh, like 11 or 12 guys on this roster, depending on a, a, a couple of things. Um, we have uh, the, uh, the young, let's call them the young part of the roster, the 25 and under uh, has been reduced to Lonzo Ball, Kobe White, whose role on this team is now unknown to me, and Patrick Williams, who's massively important. Then you have the mid-career guys, and that's like the Levine, Caruso group. And then you have the past 30-plus guys, we'll call them, in Demar and Vucevic. Three all-stars of recent vintage in Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic. Um, I would presume, Mr. Fidel, their starting lineup is Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Pat Williams, and Nick Vucevic. Would you agree with that? And what are, you, what are your, I mean, whoa, whoa, that's a, we got a lot of stuff going on here. What are your initial thoughts? The first thing is, and I agree with you on the starting lineup, but the first thing I thought, especially after the DeRozan move, Zach, was, man, things are really, really different because you and I have had the conversations about the Bulls for years and years, and there's just no way in hell Garam Pax would do these kind of deals because they always valued the picks more. They all, the Bulls don't have a first round pick for <laughs> like a, a zillion they years. Can't tra- they they cannot trade a pick. Period. Right now, I think Bob Marks <laughs> tweeted that all the they traded the what became the eighth pick to Orlando, and like they're not putting these teams are coaxing light protections out of the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Like these aren't top fifteen, top sixteen. They're top eight, top ten, whatever it is. Like this, these are good picks, and that's the scariest part to me is the complete shift change that's taken place. And I was actually just in Chicago a couple weeks ago. And, man, that city in the summer is just unbelievable. I love it. But I'm talking to all my old friends in the organization, and they really like Karnasovas, and they really like Eversley, and they really believe in what they're doing. But my question to Bulls fans and my question if the front office was sitting here right now is you've now made these moves. You traded away all your picks. And it's not that the Bulls aren't better. They are. I think they have a nice young core in place. And and I'm with you. I think the moves are solid. But you're not better than so many teams. And so how do you balance? All right, we've improved. And maybe we make it in in that playing spot or – or best case. I mean, Zach, what's the best case for this team right now? The I think best seed? case is better. I think best case is better than that. I think the best case is like sixth or fifth requires some injuries to other teams. I think offensively, this team's going to be really, really good. I, t- I take your point. Um, they've given up a lot. I'm surprised they had to give up a first round pick to get DeRozan. 
who did not have as much of a market as he anticipated. Now, people look at the events of free agency, right, and the timing of it and say, well, where was the market for DeRozan? There was no cap space left. It must have just yeah. been the Spurs. These things are already gone long underway by the time the market, quote-unquote, dries up. Good players of DeMar DeRozan's stature, what's happening to Dennis Schroeder does not happen to them. It's, what, it's like when Kyle Lowry had, quote-unquote, no market. Why didn't the Raptors squeeze him? He gets three years, 90 million. It just doesn't happen. Um, but I was surprised they gave up a first. And I think the interesting thing, to your point, is they've now given up in these trades. Wendell Carter Jr., all these picks, and those trades have turned into... I think two guys who are known as floor raisers, like the ultimate, this is like team raised the floor in Chicago yep. in DeMar DeRozan and Nick Vucevic, who can win you some games in a regular season, not that, that many. And in the playoffs, it's sort of um, TBD. It drops off a little bit. This, this, they've, they've paid a lot for those kinds of guys. And I think they're counting on two things. Ball's going to hit. I like that bet. Levine's got more to do. I like that bet too. And Pat Williams, is going to be really good, but he's got to get really good soon because DeRozan and Vooch are of that age. And I just, I mean, we can talk more about the path here, but I'm more optimistic than you. I think this team is going to be really dynamic offensively. The whole question is going to be, can they be 15th in defense? If they can be 15th in defense, they're going to be really good. If they're 22nd in defense, then it's, it's going to be more towards where you see them finishing. I trust in Billy Donovan. I think he's a hell of a coach. I think he's got pieces in place now to make the Bulls defensively better than we think. And, Zach, I was le- reading a, a piece from Stefan No, an old friend of mine who's covered the Bulls for a while, and he, he noted that, hey, a lot of people didn't think the Bulls were going to be good last season. They finished like 11. And, and you're thinking, okay, DeRozan, not a very good defender at this point. Levine has improved, but he's still not a very good defender. Vucevic, still not a good defender. So that's the scary part is you've added these guys now to your core that just aren't very good. So they'll have to outscore people on a nightly basis, and, and they might be able to, and they're interesting. But I think this part is crucial to me in watching what's happening now and comparing it to just a few years ago. And and we all agree that Karnasovas and Eversley are a, a complete 180 from Garn Pax and how they operate day to day. But I think it is important to note here that Mike and Jerry Reinsdorf have also obviously changed their tune a little bit too. Because the reason they moved Jimmy, and this goes back four years at this point, but the reason they moved Jimmy was because they didn't want to be that team that got to potentially the second round in the Eastern Conference playoffs and got knocked out. They didn't believe that he could be the face of a title team. And look, they've been proven to be incorrect, at least in the case that he led the the Heat within two games of winning in the bubble. But what's fascinating to me as somebody who's watched this team for years and years is they didn't seem to want mediocrity. And now all of a sudden you have gone all in with all the moves that you just laid out. And I just don't see a path towards the top. I see them getting better. I see them maybe they're they're going to be better than what I think, even if I have doubts about how they're going to be defensively, I just don't see this team, even in a best-case scenario, being able to contend for an Eastern Conference crown. And so that is why I think Mike and Jerry are sitting there looking at the empty seats in the UC the last couple of years. They're looking at the idea that fans are coming back into the building, hopefully this season, and they're going, hey, 
we're sick of this rebuilding crap and irrelevancy. And on one day, we have started to build up relevancy again. And the hope is that you generate enough interest within the city and within the league that if you start winning, maybe the Bulls can start to add that magical piece that they've been seemingly looking for since back when Tibbs first got there. So pessimistic. So pessimistic. But it's been beaten into me for years. I was going to say, when you go to sleep at night, do you have nightmares where you like you're dreaming and all of a sudden you 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 the night you have a nightmare like Benny the Bull is standing over your bed with like a machete just just waiting for you to wake up with his bug-eyed coked out eyes? I just feel like you're, you've got some emotional demons from all of this. Do you dream? Has Tibbs ever appeared in any of your dreams? Oh, are you kidding me? What, are you kidding me? What the are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what happened? Well, back in the good old days, Benny and I used to, uh, we used to go out on the town. He used to. I, I know the old Benny. The old Benny is a delightful guy. There's a new Benny who I don't know, but old Benny who I know, I'm not going to say his name because the mascot community takes it very that's, seriously. That's their right. anonymity. But I, he was a delight. He is a delightful guy. I don't know where he is, but he's a delightful guy. Old Benny used to used to go up to some nice young ladies in a Chicago bar and go, "Hey, uh, they they'd say to him, "What do you do?" And he'd say, "I'm a writer for ESPN Chicago." And there'd be a pause, and he'd look at me, and they're like, "Well, what does your friend do?" And he goes, "You can't tell anybody this, but he's Benny the Bull." You're believable. You're believable as Benny the Bull. Actually, if I didn't know you and you told me you were Benny the Bull, be like, I believe it. Um, let, the Butler point is where this should all start. So Butler, the Butler trade was a bet, and the bet is exactly what you just said it was. It was we have whatever amount of championship equity we think we have with this Butler path is not high enough. This other path, which is wildly uncertain, is going to have, if we hit, more championship equity than the Butler path. Because if we hit, we're hitting at the top of the draft. We're hitting with the t- many bites at the apple at the top of the draft. And what's scary to me about the Bulls is not so much that they gave up these picks for Vucevic and DeRozan, who are good players. It's that if you contrast them with a team like the Hawks, who when they started to go in for veterans, they had they have more young guys than they know what to do with. Like, they're built to win immediately in these next two or three years because they're stacked. The Bulls have seen Carter go out the door. They traded the 16th pick in, that, in the Butler trade, which was a disaster that they had to include that. Markkanen looks like he's gone. He was a big part of the Butler trade. The number seven pick in that draft. Chris Dunn, nothing. Nothing. Traded Bobby Portis for Otto Porter, gone. Nothing. Um, the Doug McDermott trade, gone. Nothing. Um, Bill Valentine. Nothing. Ironically, their crazy trade for campaign now suddenly looks good. Like I, six years later, they're overpayment for camp. Maybe they were just six years ahead of their time. Trading Zach, for you want campaign. to talk about dreams I've had in the last few weeks? I would watch campaign during the finals and I would sit there and just shake my head and I would sit there and, and hear Gar in my ears saying, you see, big boy, you see, I knew it all along. Campaign is the man campaign can play in this you league. Really, so you need six years later, Gar was right. You need, you need counseling. Um, and so, <laughs> so they've got all so these many veterans. levels I do. They've got all these veterans, but again, they're young core now. They're young guys are are Lonzo, White, who, again, I don't know. And they just drafted a kid people like in the 30s, so we'll see. 
and Pat Williams, who I really like Pat Williams. I think he's going to be really, really good. It's too. just going to take time. And they have Troy Brown Jr. as sort of a Wizards trade leftover, and it's like whatever. I, there just isn't – they're going to have to fill this bench, and the bench is going to be thin, and they, maybe they bring Archie Diakono back. Maybe they bring Valta. Whatever. It's going to be a thin bench. I just, I just wish they had a little bit more in-house before they made these moves. Um, but, again, getting Lonzo was big for that reason. Getting Caruso was big for that reason. Getting guys in their 20s. I just, I just wish they had more. But I, I have to say, I like. I think offensively they're going to be really good. I, I think the there's been too much of well, Demar doesn't shoot threes, and that's going to really hurt their offense. Like, what's the spacing going to be when Levine has the ball? What's the spacing going to be when Vucevic posts up? And blah blah. I think their offense is going to be awesome. Demar has become a really good playmaker. He averaged seven assists a game. That's going to get Levine a whole lot of easy buckets. A little bit, like 10% less Levine on the ball and 10% more Levine cutting and shooting catch-and-shoot threes is going to be really good. And DeMar's not like, he's not just standing there doing nothing when he doesn't have the ball. He's a creative player. They'll get the ball from one side to the other. He'll catch it, run a pick-and-roll, kick it back to the other side. He can post up. He's a cutter. Uh, he's just a creative player that is that his lack of spacing is not as damaging as a lot of other guys who don't shoot, in part because he's a great mid-range shooter. You have to honor him almost even at the three-point arc because one more dribble and he's in his sweet spot. I think the offense is going to be awesome. Um, and to me, it's just, you know, defensively, Thad was a huge part of their team defensively. Sadoransky is an okay defender. Lonzo's good. Caruso's good. But that starting five has Lonzo, who's a good off-ball defender, so-so, on ball, Levine still a minus on defense. DeRozan a huge minus on. I mean, huge. DeRozan is just disastrously bad on defense, and Vucevic a slight minus on defense. A lot, of, a lot of pressure on Pat Williams. The other thing I'm really interested to see offensively, that starting five has two guys in Levine and Ball who want to fly, just absolutely fly, and then two guys in DeRozan and Vuce who do not want to fly. Vooch is going to be trailing a lot of three-on-three kind of fast-break situations. Fly, you guys up there. But up, but up, but up. Oh, they scored. I'll get back on defense. But up, but up. Oh, no, they didn't score. I need to come back and post up. So that's going to be interesting. But I think this team's going to be good on really, really good on offense. The key to me is Zach Levine. And Zach, he, he proved me wrong. I did not think the Bulls should go all in for four for 80 mil. A few years ago when they matched, he has outworked that deal. It's a credit to him. And, again, you talk to people in the organization now, and they love him. They really think that he has put in that extra effort to try and get to the next level. He made his first all-star team. But I don't the think they would have traded. I'm pretty sure they would not have done Levine for Simmons straight up yeah, right now. Right. I don't think that's something. I think they're the team that says no to that. And and they believe wholeheartedly that he can be the guy, but now is his time to show it. Because the knock on Levine from me and plenty of other people around the league is he's never won a damn thing. And so people who defend Levine say, hey, he's never really played with anybody worth a damn that can help him on a regular basis. Or we're at the points in their careers, going back to the early Minnesota days, where you knew what you were getting night to night. So if Zach Levine is the max player he believes himself to be, then Zach Levine can have the ability with all these different pieces, with with Ball and Vucevic and DeRozan, 
getting everybody to work together and being the star that everybody else kind of revolves around. And that's what I'm curious to see because if you're that type of player, anybody who's ever defended him and said, oh, he can drop 30 at any time, well, that's great. They don't win. So now you put him around pro players who know what to do on the floor, and all of a sudden there is a lot more pressure. And if you're the Bulls, it reminds me there's always going to be that Jimmy comparison because they were dealt for each other. But you remember, I mean, this goes back five, six, seven years ago now, but there was that question of, whether Jimmy was really a max player because Jimmy believed it, but you were still unsure if everybody else around the organization did. And he went out that year. He won most improved. He was dominant. This is the time for Zach Levine to show that he's one of the very best players in the league. And if he is, then the bulls are going to go farther than where I think they can be right now. When you look at this roster. Yeah, I, and he's played well for Team USA. I mean, I just would say I, I, there is definitely – I mean, the picks are gone. Those young guys I mentioned are out the door. The cap space is gone, particularly if they re-sign Vooch after the 22-23 season. But that's fine. Cap space is cap space. You can move it around. You can get guys who don't want to come there if you don't have cap space. There is risk that they have not locked themselves in because you're never locked in in the NBA, but paid a high price of their future for a team that's just pretty good. But I understand why Bulls fans are starved for pretty good, exciting with the direction. So I, I don't, I don't hate it. I do think they overpaid for DeRozan, but I, I don't, I don't hate it. Let's flip to their old coach's team, the New York Knicks, who had quite an offseason, made quite a splash, lured Kemba Walker after the Thunder bought him out, brought back Derrick Rose, three years, forty-three million, team option year three, brought in. Evan Fournier, four years, 70-something million, I think eight with incentives, team option year four. Alec Burks, three years, 30, team option year three. Nerlens Noel, three years, 32, team option year three. Drafted three guys that people are, are rather high on. We'll see how much Tibbs plays them. Tibbs and rookies have not always uh, mixed well. But last year, Emmanuel Quickly <laughs> and Obi Toppin were rotation players. Obi Toppin had a playoff game against the Hawks where Julius Randle sat for a long time in the second half because Obi was rolling. Um, well, I'll let you lead off. What do you think of the Knicks? Do you think Tibbs is, uh, Tibbs is strutting around right now? In a major, major way. In a major way. I think he's walking around New York City going, ha, 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 ha. I told you, mother. I told you I could get this team back. And that's where we're going. And when I think about the moves that they've made, I flash back to something that Taj Gibson told me a few months ago, Zach. And he said, when I sit in the meeting rooms, when we're watching video together, he's like, I have to shake my head. It feels like deja vu. And he's talking about the first year, the first Tibbs year in Chicago, because everybody is on the same page. Everybody is hungry to win, and everybody believes in the system that Tibbs has put in place. So now he rewards the Tajes and the Derricks and the Alec Burks and, and Randall. He, he got paid to, and you're adding Fournier, and you, you're getting Kemba because what did we see in that series against Atlanta? You were like, who the hell is going to score? And Randall wasn't good, and Derrick had his moments. Alec Burks had that one game where he went crazy. But and who Derek was going to get the down. ball late? Exactly. Derek, at, towards the end of the series, was playing a lot of minutes, but you needed shot creators. And you've got Fournier, who we know can do it, and you've got Kemba, who 
if I'm Tibbs before every game at the Garden, I'm just like, Kemba, pretend it's a Big East tournament. I want you to turn back the clock and just pretend that you are dominating for UConn one more time. But the point with Taj is he said, every time I'm sitting in there, and, and we talked later in the year, it feels just like it used to in the beginning days when everybody was learning each other and growing together. And on top of the moves that they've made, the Knicks have. Zach, I like the, the, the Knicks for a lot of reasons, but if they get Dame, if Dame Lillard decides he wants out of Portland, and Stephen A has talked about it, it, everybody's seemingly connected the dots. If he lands with Tibbs in New York with Derrick Rose, a guy he looked up to and has loved since he came into the league, I think that would be a match made in basketball heaven. And so on top of the moves that we see right now, I still have my eye on that potential marriage, and I think it would work unbelievably well. You're so optimistic about the 2021-22 Knicks that you just broke up three-quarters of the team to get them Damian Lillard. I know. Um, I, I believe in him. Let's, um, I believe uh, let, I guess we could just do the Dame thing now. Um, I, look, I don't pretend to know what's going on with Damian Lillard, it, what he wants. I, I, you know what? Actually, I'll take that back. I trust what Damian Lillard says because I don't think he's lying to the media. I think he's been pretty honest that he needs to see more out of the Blazers who really did not have more to do in this offseason. They re-signed Norm Powell. They got Tony Snell, Cody Zeller, guys who are not changing your life if you're Damian Lillard, but they didn't really have much to do. I, I think he's considering his future with the franchise because that's what he said. I believe he hasn't requested a trade, doesn't plan to in the immediate future because that's what he said. On the other hand, if Portland is struggling and going nowhere, I do think the writing, I mean, you, you, you can just again go by what he said. I, I think that this situation could bubble up. And look, I know what the Blazers will say. He's got four years left on his contract. He's a first-team All-NBA player, top-10 NBA player. The value is going to be sky high. We're going to ask for the world. And we're just going to send him to whoever has the best offer for us. We don't care where he wants to go. We have the leverage. If Cleveland has the best package, we'll send him to Cleveland. If Oklahoma City gives us 9,000 draft picks and that's the best package, we'll send him there. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that rhetoric, which I'm just making up. I mean, it's not like rhetoric that I'm hearing. I don't believe that that's the case. I think Damian Lillard, if and when this happens, will do the same thing that every other star has done when they get traded, which say, here's four teams. Would really love to go to one of them. And I don't think the Portland Trailblazers are going to look him in the eye after everything he's done for the community, after all the big shots, after being maybe the greatest Blazer of all time. I mean, that's what he's on pace to be. Yep. I don't think they're going to look him in the eye and say, thanks for the list, and throw it in the garbage and trade him somewhere else. And if Have you ask me Oklahoma. right now, if you ask me right now to predict what happens with Damian Lillard, if, if, if he asks for a trade, my prediction would be, it becomes, a, it becomes an arms race between the Sixers and the Knicks. And it was not an accident that the Sixers hired Phil Beckner, Dame's old coach, assistant coach from Weber State, who's become one of Damian's closest sort of advisors over the years. They talk all the time. Um, that's not a coincidence. Um, so that would be my prediction. But let's, let's leave Dame aside. Let's talk about what the Knicks did. Two days ago or three days ago on this podcast, pre-Kemba Walker, Pre all the details about the team options, although I had an inkling that those final years were at least partially guaranteed or something, I said 
people are completely there, there was such a rush to make fun of the Knicks because it's it's been such great sport to make fun of the Knicks for so many years. And when they saw the dollar amounts and the years going to these returning players, same old Knicks, here they go, carried away with one fluky year where opponents missed every three, overpaying these guys. What is Evan Fournier, the sixth best player on a great team? Derrick Rose, 43 more. Nerlens Noel is a backup center, 10, blah, blah, blah. And I said then, and this is pre-Kemba, you guys, the, the criticism, although not totally off base, like those are big contracts, big contracts. We just saw a bunch of $10 million centers get dumped all over the place because their teams didn't want them anymore. So not totally off base. But I did feel that it missed the forest for the trees. The Knicks are not, the, the, the operative rule for the Knicks right now is if we keep it going, if we sustain what we have, if we get, and these, and again, like Evan Fournier is not an old player. He's, he's, a, he's still in his prime. Alec Burke, same thing. If we keep it going and keep on building and keep the buzz going, and they just brought back Julius Randle. We didn't even mention that. They just extended Julius Randle for the four years, 117 or whatever it is. Totally fair deal as the cap goes up. Totally fair. If we just keep it going, whether it's Dame or Star X or Star Y or Star X plus Y or Star A plus B is going to say, we want to go here. Don't focus on the dollar amounts. Don't get carried away with the gears. Don't get carried away with what happened to the 2023 cap space. It's not about that. It's about for the first time in forever, we have buzz, we have a direction, we have people talking about us in a way that's not negative. We cannot afford to slip backward. Let's keep getting better. They made themselves better. And I said this all pre-Kemba. They've made themselves better. Kemba is a home run flyer for that price. And I, I, I that's the most important thing to me. That's, that's how they're operating. They're not... They, so the criticism, I just thought I just thought it missed the point. I agree with you completely. And what it reminds me of is what the Bulls were trying to do at the beginning of Tibbs' tenure. Because, Zach, remember, they were saying, hey, we've got this nice young core in place. We've got Derrick Rose. He can be a really good player. And Joakim and Luol Deng. And everybody said, ah, we, we really like that, but we're going to Miami. <laughs> and so now, uh, 12 years later or so, I absolutely believe that the Knicks are are building for not only now, because they had a hell of a year last year, but they're building for that exact moment. And this time around, with the buzz that's being created in that city, with the platform that is Madison Square Garden, and with the excitement that surrounds that team, Whenever that star comes to be, whether it's Dame or somebody else, I think they're going to get him. And I think that is exactly why we saw the pieces move in the last couple of days the way they did for, for Leon Rose and company. They know that they just have to keep building up what they started. And if, if you're Tibbs, you bring back the guys you trust and you get them into your system even more, and you get the younger guys like Toppin uh, and, and quickly in there, and you go, hey, we're going to make this all work together. And in so many ways, it reminds me of the start in Chicago, only this time, I think they're going to get that star that they missed out on before. I mean, we'll see. We, we've, we've heard this song and dance before, but it's not that long ago that Carmelo forced his way there when they had a little bit of buzz, right? And Carmelo was a prime age superstar. 
Look, I believe in R.J. Barrett. I believe what he showed last year is real, and he's going to build on it. I believe in quickly. I think Toppin is going to show stuff this year that he was not able to show last year. With Fournier and Kemba replacing Bullock and Alfred Payton in their starting five, presumably, they've gone from defense to offense. Will their defense suffer? Yeah, probably. Will they be the third best defense or second best or wherever they were? Probably not. But I think the playoffs laid bare. We, we cannot be a team where Trey Young gets to hide as much as he wants on defense in, in a safe right. place. We can't have a guy like Reggie Bullock who's just 3 and D. We need 3 and D and D with D, the other D being dribble. Um, and, and Kemba will, will bring a dimension of off-the-dribble threes on the pick and roll, which they didn't have, and that's going to unlock some rim runs for Mitch Robinson and Nerlens Noel. Uh, look, are they... I think it's in all likelihood they finish lower in the East than they did last year. I don't think they can replicate the number four seed. I don't really care. If they're the number seven seed or the number six seed and they're decent and they're a 40-whatever win team, I think that's a win for the Knicks. And if it's another competitive first round, I mean, this wasn't that competitive, but if it's another competitive first round loss, I think that's okay. I just think building the momentum, building on the momentum was, was the whole point of this. And I think that they should be a solid team again next year. And that's fine. Solid. The Knicks fans are going berserk over solid. That's all. That's, that's fine for now. And maybe if some things go right, they're a little better than that. I think they can be right where they were because I believe that Kemba and Fournier are that much of an upgrade to exactly what they needed. Not just in the playoffs, but when you watch them in the regular season, when the games were close, maybe Randall had it going or maybe – on some nights in the second half, Derek did, but they they have those two guys that can take some pressure off, and they have those those voids that are are filled now and would seem to be. And you know they're going to make another move or two uh, closer to the deadline. As we're going through this conversation, though, what's interesting to me is, and I think you laid it out perfectly, the Knicks are building what they have in place, and they're hoping that that big star comes out on the market and they can make a move. Well, you know who else is doing exactly that? Only they have a much more established core. It's Golden State. And so my question to you, Mr. Lowe, is if you're a star player, whether it's Bradley Beal, whether it's Dame, and, and to this point, of course, there's been no indication that Beal wants to leave D.C. I just mean that next star. And you have these two options out there. You have the Warriors with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and you have the Knicks with with Julius Randle and Tibbs and and now Fournier and Kemba, depending on how they look. What is more appealing to you, trying to chase one more ring with the Warriors or trying to go to New York City at the Garden and win a title there with Tibbs? Well, and that's why you got to build the ammo up because when you trade for a star, there's no point in doing it if the star comes there and is like, wait a second, you trade, you traded everything I liked to get me. I mean, this is what happened yep. with Melo. You trade, you trade everything. Exactly. I trade. Uh, wh- where's my, where's my team? So, you know, if you're talking about Dame, you're, it, it's going to cost you a lot. Like the, the Blazers aren't doing it probably with, if I'm the Blazers, I'm saying I got to have Barrett on top of everything else. I got to have Barrett. Yep. Um, so it's just going to depend on the, on the, the personality of the team uh, of, of the superstar. But look, Sam Hinkie always said it. Daryl Morey has said it. The hardest thing to do is get the first guy. Once you get the first guy, if that guy's willing to wait a little bit, and maybe Dame's not. He's 31. Um, maybe he doesn't have time. Daryl got James Harden at age 23 or whatever. He had a lot of time. 
But the hardest thing to get is the first guy. But they don't have the first guy yet. Like you, you mentioned the Tibbs Bulls and Todd Gibson's Deja Vu. They had a guy. They had an MVP. A guy who became an MVP. The Knicks don't have that. But I, I you know, and I don't, I, I've said before, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge Fournier guy. I, I think there's something, not empty calories, but there's something where the numbers don't translate to winning um, as, much as, as much as you look at the numbers and expect them to. But I like, I like everything the Knicks did this summer. I think they had a good summer, and we'll see. We'll see how they are. So Bulls and Knicks. It's like a little trip down memory lane for you, Nick Friedel. Um, always good to see you. Maybe I'll see you in Golden State this year. That'd be nice. Let's hope so. Let's hope that that team is, is relevant enough for us to, uh, to, to be together a few times, my friend. Thank you, Nick Friedel. As always, I'll see you down the line. You got it, my man. Today's interview has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's welcome in a first-time guest I'm so excited to have. Because, you know, we've already talked about the Lakers. We're going to talk about the Lakers all the time. The Lakers, 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 Lakers. Let's talk about the other team that remade itself almost completely in one offseason slash two, if you count the John Wall for rush trade, and that's the fighting Washington Wizards. Les Boulets, a flailing, aspiring team that made a, let me see if I can get this right, five-team trade involving like 19 players, seven second-round picks, which is something that the Wizards used to always just sell to other teams, and they stopped doing that, and lo and behold, it was helpful. Um, I think I heard a rumor that Bobby Marks, after the trade, was running around naked in Bristol just screaming Chandler Hutchinson's name and writing Chandler Hutchinson's name in, like, lipstick on the walls. That's how crazy the trade was. Let's talk some whiz with the Athletics. Fred Katz, one of the best beat writers in the NBA. Fred, how are you? I am exhausted. I'm I'm Bobby Mark's level of exhausted right now. I mean, there are so many names in there and so many so many picks, there're trade exceptions, there's cash. I mean, like that deal has every single thing that you could possibly throw into a deal. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, my boy Cash Considerations got thrown in there. He's a good player. Let's um <laughs> let let me just reset the Washington Wizards roster. That's that's where we are at this point. We have to actually just be like who is on the team. Okay. Here are the here is my projected starting lineup for the Washington Wizards, and you you will have a blank to fill in. Spencer Dinwiddie acquired in this five team monstrosity on a three year sixty two million dollar deal. Bradley Beal, blank. Rui Hachimura, Daniel Gafford. I'm guessing the blank will be Kentavious Caldwell Pope. What do you think? 
I think you're right. Yeah, that that would. He's certainly the favorite. I I don't think it'll be Denny Avdia, uh, and he's another contender for there. I I would assume it's Caldwell Pope. He just fits really well. I, I mean, I know you could argue he's a little bit better against guards than he is against huge wings, but. He shoots well from three. He can defend multiple positions on the perimeter. He's kind of that versatile three and D guy they've been looking for forever. Uh, and I think I think they feel more comfortable with Avdia off the bench at least at the start of the year. And you could throw his playmaking into the second unit, and I, I think that just works works better. All for right, them. so let's go through the rest of the depth charts. And because and KCP is a reliable defender, and when you look at those names, Dinwiddie, Beal, Hachimura, who's just going to enter his third year, Gafford, who's you know, a, an exciting pogo stick of a prospect, but that's not going to be a great defensive lineup. And obviously the Wizards were, I, I think Brad Beal used like four different metaphors to describe how bad the Wizards defense was. It couldn't guard a parked car. Then it couldn't guard a grandma. Could it not guard anything else? Was there any other, like it couldn't guard a, like a, like a rock. Was there anything else that was used? There were a lot of references to playing like ass. And that okay. was, that was, that was something that was said on many an occasion throughout I, that that's Brad's go-to. So yeah, I think, th- I think there might've been some other stuff that he was saying, not in press conferences too. <laughs> well, look, I mean, the, the quickest way to regular season, um, sort of competency is to just be a good defensive team every night. That's where the Tibbs teams in New York, particularly the last couple of years has made last year, made their bones. Will this team be a good defensive team? I don't know. Can they sniff average? I don't know. But the other way to be a good regular season team is to have depth. And this team has depth, and depth helps you withstand injuries, withstand back-to-backs, beat up on opposing second units that don't have depth. So let's go through the depth chart. Are you ready, Fred? I am very ready. Point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie, Howell Neto, who just re-signed. By the way, unsung hero of their team last year, Howell Neto. Shot it really well from three, just filled every gap that they had. Doesn't do anything spectacular. And then Aaron Holiday, who was acquired for the 22nd pick and I believe the Wizards got the also got the 31st pick in that draft. 22nd pick came courtesy of the Lakers. Somehow ended up with the Pacers. My head hurts already. Uh Beal and KCP are your twos or twos or threes. Then you have a very crowded sort of hybrid forward um I guess Corey Kispert probably was going to be considered a two for them. A 2.5 will play some two. They drafted him out of Gonzaga. Kyle Kuzma, Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura, Davis Bertans all guys who will probably see time at the three to some degree. All guys who are probably fours to an entire degree. And then the big guys, uh, Gafford, we mentioned Todd already, uh, Thomas Bryant, and Montrez Harrell acquired from the Lakers. That's that's just a lot of dudes. There's a lot of dudes, Fred. What am I to make of any of this? There's a lot of dudes, which is which is kind of why I think it's it's plausible that the Wizards aren't done. I mean, they're really, really close to the luxury tax right now, right up against it. They technically did not use their mid-level exception, but they would have to cut a significant amount of salary in order to be able to dip into that. But they have, like you said, there's so much depth with the forwards who aren't really wings, but you can kind of play on the wings, but it's not preferable to have them on the wings and for the Kuzma, majority of their Kuzma minutes. Kuzma, is a good thing for Washington. Kuzma has a lot of experience doing that. They have the Lakers, because of their team construction, ask Kuzma to guard you know, everyone from Clay Thompson to probably Bradley Beal when they played. Right, and he's and he's a much better defender now than he was when he first came into the league. I mean, he is way improved on that side of the ball. Uh I don't know how you're going to be able to find minutes for all of those guys at that position. I think it's going to be tough, especially considering they want to get Avdia minutes. I don't cons- I don't see a way where Rui is playing 18 minutes a game. Uh, you know, Bertanzer is on an 80 million dollar contract, and Whoops. you know, Whoops. 
Exactly. And now you wonder what his role is going to be coming into it. I, I just, I, I feel like there is something there that could potentially bring in a wing, potentially bring in another guard. They could still use some playmaking. They could still use help defensively, like you said. Uh, that could be one solution for all of it. I don't know where, where they're going to go. The stuff, they've got three centers who command playing time too. I mean, Gafford was great for them down the stretch. Uh, Thomas Bryant and Montrez Harrell are a little bit redundant. Uh, they they kind of give you a lot of the same stuff. Energy, they're screen and roll guys. Bryant can shoot the three, but he's going to miss the beginning of this year. So I was going to say, we don't know his exact timetable yet coming off an ACL. I like Thomas Bryant. I think he's made... You know, again, the questions are always going to be defense and rebounding with him. I think he's gotten incrementally better at those things, but not better enough that you trust him to really anchor a playoff team for 25 minutes a game. But offensively, he's he's got a chance to be really dynamic offensively. I mean, he shot 75% at the rim two years in a row. And I remember his rookie year, he shot something like 78 or 79% at the rim. And I was wondering, is that is that a sustainable thing for him? And he came out his second year when he was dealing with foot injuries too. And he did it again a second year. He's he's not this guy who's going to finish over you very often, but he's really skilled finishing around the rim, sets good screens, rolls really hard. And, and you talk about propping up a regular season. Another way that you can prop up a regular season is just have, have, have guys who play really, really hard, even when they're going up against the Pistons in mid-February and it's the second night of a back-to-back I think Bryant is one of those guys like he's very helpful from that perspective in the regular season and and I think Carroll is one of those guys too where he can help you for an 82 game slate also Uh, so I think at least off the bat they'll have Gafford they'll have Harrell uh, assuming there are no moves made there and and then they kind of just have a situation where the three centers (laughs) can you imagine if they play a three-center rotation for the second year in a row? I know. They just uh, they just did this with Alex Len, Robin Lopez, and Daniel Gafford at the end of the season. And they all like they all did stuff. I mean, Robin Lopez, I'm just going to say it, Fred Katz. Robin Lopez became a national sensation for his hook shot. Finally, his hook shot, which has been really good for a long time, finally got the attention. Every broadcast be like, you got to watch out for the Robin Lopez. Oh, there it is. It looks goofy, but it goes in. Every broadcast, every local broadcast that saw the Wizards. So maybe they'll do it again. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, they're gonna have to let that kind of stuff figure out. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much: this is not a problem the Wizards are used to having. Even when they were when they were good and getting four seeds, five seeds, you know, maybe challenging to win playoff series. You know, seventeen, they win forty nine games and come a game away from the Eastern Conference Finals when they lost to the Celtics in seven in the second round. Those those teams weren't particularly deep. Those teams won on their starting lineups with Wall and Beal and and Markeith Morris and and Otto Porter and Gortat. Like those teams won because of the strength of starting lineups. And as soon as the reserves came in, I mean, you looked at the plus minuses when when the too many first stringers were off the floor at all those lineup breakdowns. And it was like the bench would get pulverized. And, and I feel like this team has a potential for for having being able to get good minutes out of the bench. I think it's really plausible. I think they could probably mix and match a good amount. And they just kind of have a lot of guys. If someone's not able to go, it's like, okay, Kyle Kuzma's going to play four more minutes. And now now I guess Bertans is going to play 35 and or 25. And maybe he can hit seven threes. Like they, they have options, you know? And that's not something that's new. That's new for the Wizards. Let's zoom way out because you mentioned 2017 when, you know, they faced off against Isaiah Thomas, who had an epic couple of games in that series. It went to seven and they lost. Um, I think the Beal Wall Wizards are, are underrated because the Wizards 
are just a punchline because Ted Leonsis once every year will say something regrettable and calling Jordan Crawford, Andre Blatch, and who was the other member of the new big three? Wall, I guess, right? Yeah. That was the, that was the new big three in his since-deleted blog post because their mascot is the Wizards and they had the goofy logo with the stupid wizard hat. And because they just lose a lot, I, I, as uh, like over decades, I think – so let's put it in perspective. From 1982 – 1982. You were not born in 1982, were you? No, I wasn't. I was. I was a little kindergarten student running around learning my ABCs from 1982 to 2014. Think about how many years that is. 32 years. The Wizards won one playoff series in 32 years. Then the Beal Wall thing came together. They beat the Bulls in 2014, 2015. They damn near beat the Hawks, who won 60 games in the second round. Uh, John Wall missed the end of that series with a wrist injury. 2016, some bad stuff happened. They The Wizards whizzed out of the playoffs. And 2017, you just mentioned, I, I can tell you this. No one was excited to play John Wall and Bradley Beal. Nobody. People had a lot of respect for that backcourt duo. They stepped up in the playoffs. They were dynamic. They were fearless. And along the way, though, Fred, I don't need to tell you this. The Wizards... I don't know if they acted with irrational exuberance, but they just made one win-now move after another. One trade a first-round pick for a marginal veteran, Marcin Gortat, Markeith Morris, Boyan Bogdanovich, all of which were sort of defensible on their own, taken together with a, a big draft miss in Vesely. Remember Jan Vesely now killing it in Europe. A big free agency miss in Jan Mahinmi. Uh, and then Ubre for Ariza. That was sort of the last gasp of this sort of win-now mentality. They just, they just sort of got put the the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak, which really started when they traded the number five pick in the 2009 draft, which could have been Steph Curry, uh, and ended up being Ricky Rubio for Mike Miller and Randy Foy to help the previous version of the Wizards out of irrational exuberance. Now, Ernie Grunfeld's gone. They don't sell second-round picks anymore. This isn't like a killer roster, but they pivoted away from, they got off a wall, who I don't know what he's ever going to be again. Uh, they traded one first-round pick to do it, got Russ, got a first-round pick back for Russ, and have sort of revamped this team. I don't know what this team is, but it doesn't it feel to you like the days of the Wizards just sort of flailing around are over? Well, I think what you're getting at really is that the former Wizards never prioritized the margins. There was, you know, one thing which is is so niche Wizards, but it just like if I were a Wizards fan, it would have irked me in 20. I guess this would have been December of 2018. You remember the glorious Dylan Brooks? No, it's Marshawn Brooks. No, it's Dylan Brooks. No, it's Marshawn Brooks trade that never happened. I do. I remember. I remember. (laughs) I honestly remember it a little too well. I'm embarrassed um, how well I remember that whole night. That that was another night where I was up way too late. Uh, but during that, during that trade, the original iteration of that trade, which was a three team deal and, and there was miscommunication, the trade died. And the original iteration of that trade, the wizards were trading away Austin rivers, Kelly Oubre, and they were getting back a fake second an unprotected second from Memphis and Trevor Ariza. When the which deal was, was finally, the, that was the, the whole Oubre for a reason thing. And like Oubre is no great shakes. He still hasn't signed anywhere, but Oubre for aging Trevor Ariza, because like five years ago, Trevor Ariza was really good for us and kept our locker room in order. That was like the ultimate last gasp of job saving for Ernie Grunfeld. 
No question. And and on top of that, so the original iteration of the trade, they're getting back an unprotected second round pick from Memphis. That deal falls apart. When you say yes to a trade, you are saying this is what we deem worthy for the package that we're giving out. About 12 hours later, they agree to a different trade in which they're giving out the same package, Austin Rivers and Kelly Oubre, and they're taking back only Ariza. No second round pick. And in that moment, my thought was, man, over 12 hours, they they basically just admitted that those two guys are worth Trevor Ariza and only Trevor Ariza because the second round pick is nothing to us. And it's the same organization that used second round picks to offload big salaries, which they gave out too much for, uh, which which they, you, you always felt like, hey, you know what? They could have put some kind of protection on that pick they sent and and they didn't. And, and it was sort of that sort of deprioritization of the margins, which got them in this large hole where it's like, it's hard to point to one move that they made other than maybe the Mahimi contract or the Vesley pick that they made. And you say, man, that, that really, really screwed them, you know, but it's just all these things add up and it just ends up being death by a million paper cuts. And I, I, and I think now wrote, they're prioritizing what, what, it. When they were when they were really struggling at the beginning of the 2018 season, I wrote a piece about like what's actually happening here. Wall looked terrible. Like it was very clear that Wall's knees were bothering him. He didn't move very much at all on the court. And I wrote, I went through all these trades and I said, look, they're all. It's the kind of thing where a bunch of C plus, like they got a lot out of Gortat. Bogdanovich was helpful for them for a hot second, but it's the kind of thing where like a bunch of B minus C plus moves without any A's anywhere just kind of adds up to a D over five or six years that that's what happened let's let's ask the important questions Dinwiddie is obviously the centerpiece here that's what all this rigmarole was for three years 62 um coming off uh, an ACL injury how do you think he fits with Beal and the rest of the team but specifically Beal I mean the the thing that I'm most curious about is where do those two rank in uh, in guard combos amongst the league and just being able to get to the line I mean, Dinwiddie's last healthy season, he had about a 44% free throw rate, which I think was seventh amongst non-big men. And all the guys ahead of him are just like Luka and Trey Young and Harden and somehow Josh Okogie. And, and, and just well, I can the tell you how Josh Okogie is a human bowling ball who does not, is not concerned for his own safety or the safety of anybody around him, including people in the first row of games. Well, it's all it's all him and and six other all stars ahead of him, and he is he is really really good at getting to the line. And one thing that Beal has really developed over the last three or four years is an ability to be able to get to the line. Uh, I think I think it's an imperfect mix. I, ideally, it would be nice to have somebody who was a better jump shooter around Beal, and and that's something that's going to be a question for them. They they were really one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league last year. I think they unquestionably got better with adding Kispert. Adding KCP, whether Kispert is ready to play is an interesting question. I'm not a draft guy, so I've not seen a ton of him. Like, what is what is? They seem to think he's ready to fill some minutes at the two. Is that reasonable? Yeah, they 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 think that he's ready to play. I think part of the reason they drafted him was because they thought he was going to be able to come in and play right away. I mean, I I think he's going to be able to shoot right away. Uh, You know, I'm not I'm not an incredible college basketball expert either, but I, I think just watching stuff on him and really getting to, you know, trying to get to know him, especially over, you know, since they drafted him and hearing how much they liked him. I think he'll be able to shoot right away and and he's not a standstill shooter. I mean, he's a guy who really made his living 
cutting and 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 being able to run around screens and and not even necessarily just like curls at the three point line. I mean, he's a guy who who in college played with really good players and good playmakers like Jalen Suggs and is able to read defenses and back cut towards the basket and and those sorts of things. And I think that movement is going to be helpful for them. I mean. I'm curious to see what kind of I mean they've got a new head coach too with Wes Unsell Jr. Yeah, I was I was about to say we probably should talk about that because he has a reputation as a defense coach. He was the architect of a defense in Denver that sort of, you know, um lived lived on the edge of madness in in terms of the aggression that they played with, but they found something that worked well enough for them to do quite well in the playoffs. And again, I think that's we can talk about Dinwiddie Beal. I think I, I, I like Dinwiddie fine. I'm not a huge fan. Um, he is super aggressive. He does get into the paint. He doesn't shoot long twos well, and he doesn't shoot threes. He's 31 career percent from three. But he takes hard threes. Like the, He takes like sides. He has a great sidestep three. You're going to like the Spencer Dinwiddie sidestep three. It's not a step back. He's, he's like, he likes a sidestep. Um, so so I'm willing to sort of it, – it, it's not 31% on like guys are going under screens and just giving him threes. Uh, so I think that fit is okay. Like just his attacking nature – Beal doesn't have to do as much work. I mean, it's. I mean, Russell was doing a ton of work last year, obviously. But I, I like. I think that fits fine. Uh, but we should talk, probably talk about Wes Unseld though, because he is the new coach and he has a, a brand new roster. And it just felt like Scotty Brooks did an okay job there, but could never quite find a, a rhythm and a and a and, and a set rotation and a path to to just consistency. What do we know about Wes Unseld? Well. I, I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and, and kind of tried to get into his mind and, and what he is as an X's nose guy. And one of the things that I think is really interesting when you talk to people in Denver about what he was like as a coach is uh, they all kind of mentioned they mentioned his preparation. They also mentioned his flexibility where, you know, he would go to guys in Denver. He'd go to Jokic and Murray and those guys and kind of ask them, OK, are you more comfortable? Nikola Jokic, are you more comfortable? uh when you're guarding the back end of a pick and roll, would you rather blitz it? Would you rather drop? Would you rather come up even to the screen? What What is the most comfortable way you feel when you're guarding these sorts of actions? And he asks everybody those sorts of things about different types of offensive actions and that kind of stuff. And then he puts it all together and he decides, okay, how can I design a system where I'm maximizing the comfort levels of all of my guys to the greatest degree possible. Obviously, nothing is perfect, but that's the way that he kind of approaches scheming, at least defensively. And that, number one, makes it very difficult to predict what kind of defense and what kind of offense he's going to want to run with the Wizards because there's not really a carryover because he's coaching different players. If he's trying to, uh, you know, cater his system to the actual players, cater his principle to the actual players, uh, I will say he told me in our conversation that one of the things that he wanted to do was he thought good offense would help good defense. And he found that last year, you didn't have to look very hard to find this. There were a lot of one pass and no pass possessions uh, that that he thought led to turnovers, led to bad shots and that kind of stuff led to contributing to the Wizards being a really poor transition defense team. Uh, and, and look, I mean, this is you don't have to say it as a knock or not a knock. It is it is just a stylistic truth. Russell Westbrook being a guy who runs your offense leads you to a lot of one pass and no pass possessions. Well, also, if you if you miss at the rim and fall over and your floor balance is just a little bit off and your effort is just a little bit off because you're the Wizards and you're sick of each other or not playing really for anything, your transition defense is not going to be very good. 
Yeah, and look, one of the things that they struggled with a lot in those scenarios, people talk about transition defenses. All right, they're scoring on the fast break and that's it. There's so many scenarios where a team gets back and they have a five on four or a four on three and the Wizards thwart it, but now all of a sudden they're mismatched in the half court. And now there's some sort of mismatch which the offense is going to be able to exploit. And the Wizards succumbed to that so much last year. And they were little last year. They played three-guard lineup. They started a three-guard lineup. They played three-guard lineups almost all the time. They're really going to be playing a three-guard lineup again. It's a little stouter because Spencer's pretty big. I don't. I think he's been a below-average defender by a little bit. I think he's fine. And KCP is probably a little undersized at the three. It's still going to be small, um, but it, it, the defense is going to be interesting. So, so like again, Dinwiddie. So zooming way out, way out. The only question that matters really is, um, what does Bradley Beal think of any of this, and is this enough? For him to sign the mammoth extension he can sign after this season, assuming that's the, the path he wants to take. He has other ways he can do it too. Um, I, I know it's like it's we can't just get into the guy's mind. Like this team's okay. They're okay. I don't think I, I certainly don't think in an East that's sort of beefing up across the board that they're guaranteed to finish in the top eight, which they barely did last year. They should the play in should be there should be there for them, but like the East is not gonna be there aren't as many pushovers in the East. Is this enough? Like, are we just going to be hearing the Beal stuff all year long? I mean, we'll, we'll probably hear the Beal stuff all year long no matter what. I mean, I, I'll i tell you this much. I think the Wizards as an organization are, are very hopeful that they'll be able to bring Beal back. I don't think they would have made these moves if they weren't. Uh, you know, all the reports, uh, you know, from, from numerous outlets about Beal mulling his future over the last few weeks was... It ended with him not asking for a trade. It ended with him kind of being involved in their offseason still and wanting to be involved in the free agency process. He was one of the guys who who recruited Spencer Dinwiddie to come to D.C. Those guys are friends. He's he's really close friends with Condavius Caldwell Pope. You know, Brad constantly says that they just have to win. That that I think I think if I can get into Brad's mind, and I've covered him for years now, but if 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 I can get into Brad's mind, he. He, I think he would rather win in D.C. than win elsewhere. But I also think he doesn't necessarily just want to lose for the rest of his career. And so the thing that I don't know is what does he consider to be winning? I also think, by the way, the Wizards can offer him a fifth year in free agency. And it's it's not a meaningless fifth oh, year. At, at that age, at, at Brad's age, that that is a huge huge deal because he's going to be year five he'll probably be like 33 or 34 of that deal. it's a huge and you can't flash forward all those years and guarantee i'm going to be healthy i'm going to be work i mean it's going to be 50 something million dollars in the fifth year yep and and the cap projection for the 22 23 season just went up four million dollars higher than originally expected which means that that contract they can offer him with five years is five years projected to be five years 241 million dollars with a 55 million dollar player option on year five 55 million dollars that is a large difference in guaranteed money <laughs> that that is an incredible incredible incomprehensible amount of money to me so i mean that that matters and uh i think that's something that's important to him it would be wild to me if it wasn't something that was important to him so so i think the wizards have that on their side and look to this point he hasn't asked out i think he plans on coming in and and playing this season just like he has any other i could not predict for you 
how this season, you know, if if the Wizards have this record, does that mean that he's out? If the Wizards have this record, does that mean that he's in? I I I don't know, but it just every time I think, all right, maybe something's happening, I go in and I check in, they're like it's it's not. He's he's committed to the Wizards and the Wizards have committed in every way possible to wanting to build around him for the future. By the way, an aside, I love when coaches say I think, you know, if we improve our offense, it'll help our defense. I feel like the only coaches who say it's it's correct. I feel like the only coaches who say that are the ones who know their defense is going to be bad. Like, so we have to we have to have a good offense. Look, the Beal, win, there's winning and winning. This team is not going to do capital W winning. This team is not going to be – it would take a lot for them to be in the second round of the playoffs. They're not going to be in the conference finals. They're not going to the finals. And I don't know what pathway they have there unless these young guys hit – and hit fast. And I like Hachimura. I think Hachimura is going to be good. I think Hachimura is already good and has a chance to be really, really good. Avdia is sort of TBD. Kispert's obviously TBD. Like they, but I don't, I don't see a clear roadmap here to capital W winning. And I, I think the fact probably is that the Wizards have missed their best window to trade Bradley Beal for the mammoth return. Now, they would still get a lot for him if they traded him now. But you've got two other guys out there in Lillard. And Simmons, and if the timing is such that all three become available at the same time, that sort of complicates your ability to get the juggernaut return. And once he goes on that contract, he's on that contract, and there's only going to be a certain number of teams that are willing to trade for that contract. So the window, it's not it, it, the the best. The best window is probably gone, but they they would still get a lot for him. But I, you know, I have a soft spot for the Wizards. I, I like I said, I I thought those Wall Beal teams were underrated because the just everyone laughs at the Wizards. They're just Everyone likes to laugh at them just because, like, everyone likes to laugh at the Knicks. If you're bad long enough, you just become a punchline. I, I like those teams. I like the market. I like D.C. I think it's cool that Brad wants to make it work there. I think it's I think it's cool, and I think it should be lauded. Um, so I, I hope this team is – I hope this team is good enough, but I just don't – like, where would you predict they finish? It's, it's hard to predict that they're going to finish over Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami – uh, Philly, Atlanta, Boston is is an interesting sort of. They haven't been super active. Like I, Chicago just got better. We can go on and on. Like, wh- what's a reasonable prediction? Yeah, I mean, look, what if what if Lamelo comes out next year and is just unbelievable? I mean, Char- Charlotte could be ahead of them. I I would think they're somewhere in the in the play in range, probably around where they were last year. I mean, you know, Westbrook won a lot of games. Westbrook had such a weird season last year because he he was so he struggled so much for them for the first two months of the year. And then the last month and a half, he just went gangbusters on the whole league and and won them so many games during that 17 and six stretch to end the year. So it's such a weird season to evaluate with them, with them, with everybody and with them specifically. I I would think off the top of my head, they're they're probably somewhere in that same range, though, uh, you know, which is fine. If you lose a, a player of the caliber of Russell Westbrook, you do it to gain flexibility to to gain maybe make the roster younger. They, they don't have a player over the age of 30 now. Uh, you do it to gain depth, all those sorts of things, and you maintain in the same spot. It's like, OK, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I, I would imagine, you know, maybe they're seven, maybe they're nine, maybe they're 10, but, but somewhere around there. And they don't have cap space for the next couple of summers, which is fine. Like you can, we've seen over and over, you can get away. It's nice to have, particularly when you're a team that's on the on the up and so on the come up, so you can steal some extra picks from people who need to dump money. But you know, you can work your way around. Well, I I, I just have a soft spot for the Wiz, and I just we're all going to talk about the Lakers. Let's talk about the Wizards. So Fred Katz, 
Um, you do a great job at The Athletic, man. I read everything you write. Everybody who's interested in the Wizards, and, and really you write just beyond Wizards too. Uh, I really appreciate you making a little time. And if all goes well, if the world is enabling it, maybe I'll see you in uh, beautiful Washington, D.C. next year. That would be great. It'd be great to see people just be around human beings. That'd be nice. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.